can I ask that we turn, there's a song that I want us to sing, um, Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord. Can I invite us to stand to our feet as we join the heavenly hosts, as we join the stars in heaven, the angelic beings in having to worship the king of ages. One deserves our worship above everyone else. Thou art worthy. <clears throat> Thou art worthy. Father, we do want to thank you that this morning we can join the millions upon millions in this world that are worshipping you in truth and in spirit. We thank you for this privilege which is ours. We know that our Father, it is a time of the year when we have to cast our mind and attention on what you did for this world. That our Father, it's a time of the year when we have to cast our mind and see what happened in the world on that day when you were pleased to come into this world in order to reconcile us to yourself. Lord, you are worthy to receive our praise. You are worthy, Lord, to be worshipped this morning. Indeed, as we open the pages of your scriptures, read from it, and as we engage together in the discourse, uh, we pray that we will know your presence, that the Spirit of God himself will guide and lead us into your truth. Oh Lord, be gracious to us, be gracious to the preacher as well as to the listener, and all of us together. Lord, shine your light upon your word, so that your word will be meaningful to each one of us. None of us will walk out of this building without having picked a portion from what you have reserved for us. Lord, hear us, we do pray and ask. In our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. You take your seats. Greetings to everyone of us gathered this morning. And let me express my thanks and my gratitude uh, to many of you uh, that spent moments in prayer uh, praying for me as I sat before God to try and find out what is it that God was going to say uh, to me, which was important that I in return might share with 
uh, his people. So let me thank you so very much uh, for being uh, gracious. The last three Sundays, and today is the fourth Sunday, we've been looking at the subject that we have called as a local church, or currencies we can't ignore, uh, as recorded for us in the book of Matthew and chapter 2, regarding the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we seek to conclude on Matthew and chapter 2 on the same subject of occurrences we cannot afford to ignore with regard to the birth of our Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So to that end, can I invite us to turn to Matthew and chapter 2 and we'll pick it up from verse 13 right through to verse 23. Matthew and chapter, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 13. Matthew and chapter 2, verse 13, assume you are there. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying to Joseph, Arise, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt <coughs> and was there until the death of Herod that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled saying out of Egypt did I call my son and when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environs from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascended from the Magi. Verse 17, then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And when Herod, had, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Achilles was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Let me also uh, request us to turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews and chapter 1. Hebrews and chapter 1, and we read the first three verses from that book. Hebrews and chapter 1, and the first three verses. <clears throat> Hebrews and chapter 1. And here we are told that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom we appointed here of all things, through whom also he made the world. And the Bible says in verse 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power, when he had made the purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty 
on high. Friends, I've been fascinated, extremely fascinated, as we have walked through chapter 2 of the book of Matthew like never before. And as we dug through this chapter, I've been more than amazed at the occurrences that we must not and we cannot afford to ignore. And the occurrences that have been penned down for us in chapter 2, let me confess and concede that I have never looked at them in the way that they have been unwrapped before us in the last three weeks, as well as uh, hopefully this morning, uh, the Lord willing. As we read Matthew chapter 2, you agree with me that Matthew chapter 2 is a basic, uh, if you like, summary of what Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 is having to say to us. Because in Matthew chapter 2, we see Hebrews complete reflected in Matthew chapter 2 uh, before us. In Matthew chapter 2, we see not only the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, there is the account and the story of his birth, but we also see, in a sense, when we come to verse, uh, verse 23, we also see the ultimate purpose of his coming. So we do not only see the birth in Matthew chapter 2. Sometimes we have confined ourselves just to the birth of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. But let me after, uh, 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 move us further and say to us, in Matthew chapter 2 lies the summary of the full gospel of why Christ came. And this morning, that's what we shall seek to uh, try and, and see. But I like the way Matthew chapter 2 ends. And it ends on this note. He shall be called a Nazarene. That's the ending of Matthew chapter 2. He shall be called a Nazarene. As if again in that verse, it's having to quote or it's having to take us right to uh, Isaiah chapter 53 uh, where we are told about the, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we'll come to that detail later on. He shall be called a Nazarene. A Nazarene as if a mockery. A Nazarene, a city which was uh, looked down upon. It was nothing in the eyes of those that, you know, talked about Nazarene. In fact, as we get into uh, John chapter 1, later on we shall see, in John chapter 1, Nathanael, uh, when he is told about the Lord Jesus Christ coming from Nazarene, when he is told that there is a Nazarene called Christ, he says in Matthew chapter 1, I mean in, in John chapter 1, can anything good ever come from Nazarene? Of all the places, Nazarene, don't talk to me about Nazarene. Nazarene! Anything good come from Nazarene. And then when we come to Isaiah chapter 53, we are told about that man of sorrows. What a name. The man of sorrows. Despised and rejected. Friends, what I'm saying is that Matthew and chapter 2 is a summary, a wonder of wonders in the way that it presents the gospel uh, to us. This morning, what we'll try and do is we'll try and slice. We'll try and slice the occurrences in Matthew chapter 2. And I was thinking of the word slice as in the slice of bread. So we have three slices. Those of us that were born in those days when we used to have superloaf. Uh, superloaf was a company owned by the government which made bread. And when that bread was made and you sliced it with the bread, with the knife bread, you sliced, the slices were a big. One slice was like that. And I remember the last moment when we had that slice, I was with uh, some old brother called uh, Bolly. I don't know whether he's around today or if he's not around, tell him please. And we had walked into Parklands and we bought some condensed milk. And we made holes in the condensed milk tin, and we bought super off. And then we sliced. And then you'd pull on what, and then the milk would come out from the other. And those who were born in those days understand what I'm talking about. But you may not understand. When you put, then the milk came out, the condensed milk, sweet milk, and then it was on the slice. It fell on the slice. So I put, 
and I had my slice and I ate it and I gave it to my brother William Miranda. He was, and he pulled and he also ate his slice. This morning what I've attempted to do is to try and see if we can slice the occurrences that we find in Matthew chapter 2 so that we can appreciate what God is having to communicate to us. What is it that is at play in Matthew chapter 2? So that when we, because we have sliced, it will be easier for us not only to appreciate, but also equally to remember from the slices that I hope to bring before us. These slices will be very relevant slices for us. And as we finish the slices which I have put before us, I want therefore to then try and answer the question, but why slice? What's the importance of these slices? And in trying to answer that question, we'll get to a subset within the main subject matter. And that, sub that subset, which will be our conclusion, the conclusion of the matter, I have simply said, please take care of your black box. In the conclusion, we'll be talking about the black box. And we'll be saying, please, 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 I'll be pleading with each one of us, from myself to you, I'll be saying to us, Please take care of the black box. Because if you don't, as per the narration of the account, we'll see the effect of failure to take care of the black box. And we'll come to that conclusion together. So let's see if we can <clears throat> quickly then get into the slices that are prepared for us this morning. The three slices that are prepared for us. Number one slice that I want us to observe, which is an occurrence we can't ignore regarding the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. You know, let me say this, that oftentimes when we come towards this period, we have, yes, we have allowed our children to demonstrate through plays what this, um, the birth of our Savior means. But may think that we probably need to, lead, to look at this whole uh, occasion surrounding the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, slightly differently with some bit of detail. I don't think we have given it the eminence that it requires to be given. And this morning, please allow me to stray a little bit, as we'll be looking at the slices, to, to kind of stray a little bit, so that we appreciate what occurred during the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So that we appreciate some, some of the occurrences that happened and what these occurrences must mean to all of us uh, that are seated uh, here. So, the slice number one, I have called it creation stood still. That's the first slice that we shall see. That creation at the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, creation came to a halt. It stood still in recognition of the presence of God coming into this world. Creation stood still. The next thing that I want us to observe is this, that during our uh, birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that prophecy and, scripture, uh, and, and scriptures were totally fulfilled. And in chapter 2, you do see the uh, reference, the reference to the prophecies, the reference to the scriptures, that happened in the Old Testament, the references occur like no any other chapter as we proceed in the scriptures. So the throwback to the Old Testament, the throwback to the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the Old Testament is so prominently displayed for us um, uh, in Matthew chapter 2. That's the second slice. And then the last slice, I've simply called it the communication. Communication between God and man. The amount of traffic in terms of God communicating to man at the birth of our Savior was so much as never again mentioned in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 2, you see the amount of traffic, traffic jam, if you like, uh, between God and, 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 and man, and we'll come to that detail. And you'll be amazed that these occurrences are not things that we can, we can afford to ignore. They are communicating something so very important to us 
uh, in this world. So let's see if we can get into the detail of what we have talked about. We're talking about slide number one. I have said in slide number one that creation stood still. That's the first occurrence we cannot afford to ignore. We are told in verse two of Matthew chapter two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. We saw his star in the east, and I have come to worship him. We saw his star. There must have been something tremendous. The star was prominently seen. And we'll get into that. I want us to appreciate what that statement means, dear friends. Sometimes we have displayed it here, and we probably haven't got into the detail to try and understand what that means. But I want us to quickly see that. In verse 9 and 10, we are told, And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, lo, you know, when I, went, I read this word, law, that's when I appreciate it. You know, on the WhatsApps, people put law. Have you seen that law? Law, law. And sometimes I wonder, this is Chimalo, Chimalo, Chimalo. Anna, cash it from the scriptures. <laughs> and law, the Bible says, and law, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where Christ was born. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Friends, I want to propose to us that the first, the first prominent thing that we see regarding the birth of our Savior is that creation stood still. Now, the scriptures do not tell us whether when the Magi were traveling, we are not told whether it was in the night or it was in the day. That we haven't told, have we? Have we? No, we haven't. Now, pause with me. During the day, there is the sun, which is extremely very prominent. And the sun ideally would suffocate the appearance of the stars. Agreed? We can't see the stars during the day, can we? No, we can't. Because the sun would overshadow the stars. I hope you agree with me. And at night, when the moon is shining, also it absorbs, it can overshadow the stars. But here we are told, after the engagement between the Mag uh, Magi and Herod, the Magi left and lo and behold, the star appeared. What I want to suggest to us, dear friends, is this. I would like to think that the sun Though prominent the sun must be, the sun had to give way. Prominent the moon must be, the moon had to give way. Prominent the other galaxies, the other stars in the heavens, and whatever happens in the heavens, whatever could potentially interrupt the appearance of the stars, whatever they could be, I want to propose to us, they must have given way. They stood still. They stood still because the star must come out prominently. The star which is having to introduce the savior of the world into this world. It was not an angel. No, this was the star of God. Creation paved way. And as I've been thinking about the star having to shine and to be beheld, this is what went through my mind. Because creation stood still, I was imagining myself the star having to walk, to walk on the skies. You can see the star having to walk, visible without being disturbed, to lead them to the precise place where the savior of the world was born. Friends, creation stood still. The star had the right of way, if you like. It was green light for our savior. You know, the world has borrowed that concept. Uh, when they're having to introduce probably this, whether it's a boxer in the ring, 
or whether it's uh, maybe a singer during the award when the world is giving awards, or in, we've seen it in Zambia when during the award giving ceremonies in the evening, what they will do is they'll switch off the lights. And then there'll be a prominent light which will be beaming on the individual that is being introduced into, uh, you know, uh, into the audience. Ah, they borrowed, it, they borrowed the concept from here. The star has a right of where everything else must stop. The star must never be disturbed in its duty as it were. Friends, the fact that the star is given this prominence and the whole world comes to the standstill, I want to say to us that it's an occurrence we can't ignore. It has never ever been given to nobody in the world except the Son of God. Only God himself coming into this world, the creator of everything as we saw it in the book of Hebrews. As he is coming into this world, his creation stands still to give way to him, to introduce him into this world. Oh, what a savior. No wonder the hymn writer will say, oh, let us come and adore him. Let's come and adore him, Christ the Lord. It's an occurrence we can't afford to ignore. Creation, dear friends, I'm suggesting to us, creation stood still. You know, the individuals that were involved in this episode, the Magi, we have been told earlier on uh, of their trade, we have been told of their experience. These were individuals that were skilled in the knowledge of the stars, but also interpreting uh, the stars. And obviously we see that that uh, trade up to now continues on. Uh, if you want to get to the sea, you have to study the stars. For those you know, uh, that get into the sea or the oceans, you need to know the mood of the uh, stars. Even today, if you go into the village, you'll be told when you see the moon at that stage, when you see this star, this is what it means. But no, these were skilled individuals. But besides being skilled individuals, I want to propose that they were individuals impliedly that were filled with God in terms of God having to reveal to them what he was bringing to this world. So they were being led by God. I want to propose that. Because when we get to, again, we get back to uh, uh, verse 2. We are told, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? How do they know king of the Jews? Um, for we saw him, and we have come to worship him. For the heart of man can only engage into the act of worship only when God himself has driven us to a point where we must worship him. When we are left to ourselves, it is impossible for us to ever think of having to worship God. So I want to propose to us that, you know, um, uh, 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 creation, as it were, creation came to a standstill and opened up the mind of this Magi uh, so that the Magi then would uh, come and uh, 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 introduce, um, uh, uh, come and worship the King of Kings. So, impliedly, when we say the um, uh, creation um, uh, stood still, we are saying the sun gave way. We are saying the moon gave way. We are saying everything else literally gave way in order to provide and disturb leadership uh, to the star, so that the star could then um, um, uh, introduce the savior of the world um, uh, to uh, the Magi. Friends, I want to say, it's an occurrence we cannot afford to ignore. Has there been any other human being ever introduced in this world this way? And I'm saying never. There has never been and never shall be. Why? Because we are talking about God. And I want to emphasize this. We are talking about God one who has created all things and one who upholds all things according to his pleasure. And no wonder creation must stand still to him who is the creator of them all. It's an occasion we can't afford to ignore. God 
having to introduce his son into this world, the world comes to a stand still. Let's move on to the second slice. And you observe with me, that's on the first slice, that uh, we know with that occurrence, uh, we are told in verse uh, 7 uh, that Herod called the Magi secretly to try and understand, to try and uh, understand from them the time the star happened and what um, uh, uh, occurred. So in verse 7, you get an engagement there that Herod, together with the Magi, sat down together and the Magi did explain to Herod exactly everything that happened. And I'm sure I would like to think that the Magi must have said to Herod, you know, while creation stood still, the star, the star of God, led us to the king that we must worship. And I'm sure that detail was given to Herod. What impact did that have on Herod? That's a story we shall have to look at later. But suffice to say this, that the world stood still at the coming of our Savior into this world. Whilst during this period, the world does not stand still, it's in excitement and literally forgets about the Savior. It's the excitement that envelops the world. On that occasion of our birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, the world stood still. Friends, I hope one day during one of these days, we shall say as a church, today we shall just sit in church for two hours of our service. Still, to just think about what transpired and just join creation in standing still. I am not sure how many of us will withstand that for two hours, if we can't even afford for maybe one minute. Our minds will be wondering and thinking, but the world stood still. What I want us to bear in mind is that the world stood still at the appearance of God into this world. They had to pave way for the introduction of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Let's look to slide, slide number two. In slide number two, uh, we are saying that prophecy and scriptures were fulfilled in this chapter more than any other chapter that I've so far read. With regard to the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in this chapter, at almost every turn of the verse, we are having to be thrown back to prophecies said this. Prophecies said this. Scripture says this. Let's see how that happens. From verse 6, we are told, in verse 6, um, uh, And thou, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd the people Israel. That is a quotation from uh, the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So in Matthew chapter 2, we see the first fulfillment of the promise, as it were, uh, which uh, it was made in the Old Testament. In the book of Micah chapter 5 uh, and verse 2. Again, we get into verse 15. And verse 15, we are told, um, and there shall be uh, death, um, and there were, uh, sorry, verse 15 of chapter 2, and was, and was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. Again, that's another fulfillment of the Old Testament being fulfilled uh, in the uh, book of Matthew and chapter 2. And that is coming from Hosea and Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. We continue on and then verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and threw all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environs from two years old and under according to the time which he had ascertained. And uh, that is coming from, again, it's coming from uh, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 7 and 8. Again, the Old Testament being fulfilled uh, in Matthew chapter 2. 
Again, we get to verse 18. And verse 18, uh, we are told, a voice was heard of Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. And she refused to be comforted because there were no more. Again, that quotation, we uh, 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 get that quotation uh, again from uh, the Old uh, Testament. Again, we are told later on um, uh, 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 in uh, uh, verse 23, and verse 23 we are told, and came and resided in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. It shall be called a Nazarene. Again, that is a, a quotation that is coming from uh, the Old Testament, uh, already prophesied um, in the Old Testament. The point that I want to drive to us uh, here, dear friends, is this that in Matthew and chapter 2, we see a tremendous fulfillment of prophecy as well as you know, scripture from the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament in one chapter at a rate not so common in the scripture. In other words, it's an occurrence we can't ignore. <coughs> scripture is being fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. That which God has said before is being fulfilled in its fullness in Matthew chapter 2. In other words, we can't afford to ignore the events and the occurrences of Matthew chapter 2. Because the occurrences in Matthew chapter 2, as it were, marks uh, the change in man's history. But we'll come to that uh, uh, later. I think I wanted to emphasize, I like verse 23. For it shall be called a Nazarene. Earlier on, I did refer us to the book of John, John chapter 1 and verses uh, 46. Uh, let me just uh, um, uh, remind us of what I quoted in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 36 regarding Nazarene. You know, when the scripture says, and it shall be called a Nazarene, um, what is so special about Nazarene? Now, I did much earlier on uh, talk about Nazarene. And if you like, uh, in our own um, country, um, there are places when, when the name rings, it communicates something to you. Um, uh, when you are in Osaka and then you are uh, told, I am from Kopala, when you say you are from Kopala, immediately you are associated with who? With who? Jeraboz. The moment you say you are from Kopara, straight away people look at you. Are you a Jerabo? That's exactly Nazarene. When you talked about Nazarene, look at what the scripture says, verse 46 of John, chapter 1. Nathanael said to him, <clears throat> Can anything good? Can anything good? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Nazarene, can anything good come out of Nazarene? And then in response, Philip said, come and see. Friends, what Nathaniel is having to say there is, if you like, a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. Let me take us to Isaiah chapter 53 so that we see Isaiah chapter 53, and I'll pick it up from verse 3. The scripture tells us there, he was despised and forsaken of men. A Nazarene, man of sorrows acquainted with grief. A Nazarene, like one from whom men hide their faces. A Nazarene, he was despised and we did not esteem him. A Nazarene. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him not, smitten of God and afflicted, a Nazarene. And the scriptures continue on and on and on. And verse 9, we are told, 
His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. A Nazarene. Dear friends, we cannot afford to ignore Matthew and the occurrences that happens in Matthew and chapter 2. All scriptures, all prophecy has been fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. In other words, shall we look for anyone else? And the answer is no, because all that God promised has been fulfilled in Matthew and chapter 2. An occurrence I don't want you to ignore. Slice number three, quickly. In slice number three, we see the traffic intensity, the communication, the level of communication between God and man was intense when our Savior was come into this world. The communication between God and man was at its peak. No, it's more than a president coming into the city. The communication was high. The intensity in terms of traffic was high at its highest. Let's pick it up and see uh, from the scriptures just how high it is. It, we pick it up right from verse 2. You know, when the Magi um, uh, uh, in verse 2 said, we saw the star. Like I, I mentioned much earlier on, God must have spoken to them for them to begin to realize what was coming into this world was not a normal uh, person. It was not a normal person, and because of the nature of who was coming into this world, the Magi, like we were told in the uh, opening remarks when we started look at this chapter, when they left Iraq, as it were, and having to travel to Israel, they did not care the danger that potentially lay before them as they traveled, as they walked. They did not care because they saw in the Savior one in whom they could invest their lives. Their lives were not worthy, as it were, as they looked at who is to come into the world introduced to them by God. God speaks to the minds of the Magi, and he tells the Magi who was come into this world, and they cannot resist. But again, when God spoke to them, and when they realized who was coming to this world, look at the amount of gifts that they bring to him. In fact, it is said that the God that they brought before um, uh, our Savior, the Frank says that they brought before our Savior, and the mirror they brought before our Savior, it is said that these gifts were in amounts that probably sustained Joseph and Mary and the child whilst they were in Egypt. These gifts brought before um, uh, 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 Joseph must have been sufficient gifts to sustain the family whilst they were in Egypt. In other words, when God communicated this information to them, it was so clear in that communication link that this the one coming into this world was no ordinary person. No. But let's continue on with that communication link. The intensity of it, we see it come out again in verse 12. We see it come out again in verse 13. We see it come out again between uh, verse 19 and verse 20. And again, we see it come out in verse 22. So it's like at every point, at every stage, every after, so often, it's either we are taken to the Old Testament to see how the Old Testament has been fulfilled, or we are taken to the communication link between God and man. The intensity of that communication, heavy traffic as it were. Why heavy traffic? It's because God wants us to be aware of who is it that is coming into this world. With that heavy traffic link, we can't afford to ignore that occurrence, dear friends. That's a point that we are raising before each other. We can't afford to ignore the occurrence of the traffic, the intensity of tra traffic between God and man. God himself having 
to uh, communicate with man with regard to the coming of his son. And at every point, God is having to give direction. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And as I was looking at this, I was saying to myself, probably this is where the whole idea comes from, which the leadership in this world have um, uh, picked up the whole idea. When they are coming into a place, there is that constant communication between, you know, um, uh, for example, if a uh, 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 president is leaving Lusaka to come to Kitwe, there is the link between Lusaka and Kitwe. At that point, all the radios, um, all the communication uh, 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 channels are open. Um, you know, before he starts off, can you know the plane is about to start off and the guys in Kitwe know? Okay, the plane is at that point, is landing at this point, is coming. That link, communication link, which we see in the world, I'd like to propose that they may have stolen it from here. God himself perfects the communication. Nothing must be misunderstood. Everything must be precise. Precise. He communicates with the stars. Come right at the place where Christ was. No mistake. Just where Christ was, but with creation standing still, the star beams where the Lord was. You can't mistake him. He's not an ordinary man. This is God Internet, the star comes straight where he is. But as that is happening, the message God is communicating, Joseph, do this. Joseph, do this. Magai, do this. Magai. And God is communicating at every point. The intensity of communication that I see here, dear friends, is one that I've never seen between God and man. It's heavy communication link that uh, we see uh, between God and man. Friends, I'm saying to us that these occurrences, these slices, are slices we cannot afford to ignore. The world comes to a standstill when God is having to come into this world. That's the slice number one, which I want us to constantly bear in mind that during the birth of our Savior, it was not life as usual. The world came to a standstill. Slice number two is that during the birth of our Savior, we see all scriptures in the Old Testament regarding his coming being fulfilled. And the ultimate of all the scriptures that must be fulfilled is this that he shall be called a Nazarene. Man of sorrows, despised and rejected. The slice that I've mentioned to us is this, that communication between God and man was at its highest level at the coming of our Savior into this world. God communicated with man at an intensity we have never yet witnessed, uh, except that um, uh, when he was going to the cross. But when the Son was coming into this world, the intensity of communication was huge. Why have I labored, friends, in explaining these slices to us? Why have I labored? And I've labored to this level because, friends, we need to protect the black box. Let me explain. On the planes is that black box. That black box is so key to the plane, to the point where if anything must happen to the plane, the first thing that you must look for is what? The black box. Because in the black box will be the communication that was taking place as the pilots were flying the plane, as you know, the plane was in the air. Anything that was happening will be in the black box. Friends, God has given us the mind. And I want to say to us that our minds are our black boxes that I want to say to us we must protect. What has that to do with the slides I've been talking about? In the slices I've been talking about, there is one man called Herod. And there's another group of people called the Pharisees and the scribes. Herod 
was exposed to all these things that have been happening. Herod has been exposed, as it were, to the world coming to a standstill. The Magi had explained to Herod what exactly they had witnessed and why they were on the journey. This was made plain before, before Herod. Friends, what was Herod's response in the light of that knowledge about the Lord? What was his response? We are told that Herod was enraged in verse 16. He was enraged and the end result is he slew all the two years and old boys born, we are told, um, uh, um, uh, 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 in Bethlehem. All of them were killed. What I'm saying to us, dear friends, is this that Notwithstanding this whole information about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's possible that we may not look at the Lord Jesus the way we ought to look at him because of the daintedness of our minds. Because our minds cannot think about the Lord Jesus Christ the way we ought to think about him. I am saying to us, we must protect our mind. We must protect our black box. Friends, one would have thought that with what has happened, Herod, at least Herod must be moved, even a bit. Absolutely not. The Pharisees and the scribes interpreted, they even interpreted, yes, we are told in the scriptures, Christ will come. They interpreted it very, very well, accurately. And your Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means this among us. They interpreted it very well. What effect did that have on the scribes and the Pharisees? Absolutely zero. The occurrences bypassed them, dear friends. Ah, what I'm saying to us is this, that we possibly are seated here. And our minds are elsewhere. We can talk about these things. It has no effect upon you. That is tragic. If it has no effect upon you, I'm saying to you, it's tragic. War is you. Because these things ought to move us. These occurrences ought to move us. They ought to get us to a point where we say, oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. But it's possible that all this may have no effect upon you. Look, the best example that I was thinking about to try and drive this point home is, you know, our minds must be, we must protect our black box, our minds. You know, it's possible to be prejudiced against an individual. In other words, you can have an opinion about me, <laughs> very serious opinion about me. When you look at me, if I am light, you'll be looking at me as if I am dark. If I am handsome, you'll be looking at me as if I am ugly. If I have black hair in my head, some, I see, still have some the black hair, you'll be looking as if everything is what? White. Depending on the perception you have about me, it's possible that even if I did the best for you, it used to read as what? The worst. And unfortunately, we have Christians, and I hope we don't have Christians in our local church, with that kind of mindset, where you have compartments, you have perceptions about individuals, you have put individuals in certain sections and the only way you look at them is the way Herod looked at the Lord Jesus. You can't see a Messiah in the Lord. The best you can see in the Lord Jesus is someone that is worth killing. Tragic. Please protect our black box. That's what I'm saying to us. In saying protect our black box, I'm saying, could we please plead with God that we may see the Lord Jesus for who he is? Perhaps we can bring to him our gold, our frankincense, and our mirror. Perhaps we can be driven to want to come and worship the king of all ages. 
Perhaps we can begin to look at the Lord Jesus Christ completely different in the life of the occurrences that we have. It's nice for ourselves here. Oh, friends, the world stood still for the king of all ages. Will you not also stand still for the king of all ages? Ah, Herod missed the point. Unfortunately, Herod missed it. Unfortunately, the Pharisees and Sadducees, or scribes rather, missed it. Meaning, therefore, that religion is good, but it's not good enough. You may, have, you may be so religious, attending to church and even quoting the scriptures, but to what extent has that moved you to worship the king of all ages? Otherwise, it's potential, it's possible to remain a Pharisee in your state and it's possible to remain a scribe. Knowledge, but not knowledge which leads to salvation. Tragic that it is. Uh, but dear friends, let me hurry on as I uh, near my conclusion and say this to us. These slices that are brought before us must surely help us to worship Christ. It must help us to realign our black box when we are thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can see the goodness of God in the birth of Christ. But again, the slices must also remind us that formerly we were in Egypt as it were. In the same way that the baby was taken to Egypt, formerly we were in Egypt and the scripture is saying, bring out my son and God has taken us out of Egypt. And when I'm talking about Egypt, I'm talking about this world. We are no longer in this world as it were. God has called us out. And because God has called us out, we ought to remember that we are sojourners in this world. We are sojourners are waiting for our Savior, that Savior that we talked about, the Savior introduced to us by the world when the world stood still. We await that Savior. He is coming back again uh, to take us home. And so as we get into the year 2024, dear friends, I want us to get into 2024 remembering that we have a Savior who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, by our side. The king of all ages who came into this world came and he lives in us and we enter 2024 with him residing in us. But as we enter into 2024, I also want us to remember that we have no abiding city here because we await our master uh, who uh, comes uh, to take us uh, to be with him. I want us to remember, dear friends, that we belong to the Nazarene the Nazarene man of sorrows, what a name, rejected by all, but we belong to him. We belong to him, and by belonging to him, I want to say this to us, that it is through him that we have our sins forgiven. It doesn't matter the amount of sin that we've committed before God. He came and became our Nazarene. He came and became, you know, our sin as it were on the cross. So it doesn't matter how we may have been tainted we may have dented ourselves or stained ourselves in 2023. Our friends, we can come to him, our savior, and have our sin forgiven and appear before him as if we have never sinned at all. This is the hope that we have uh, with him. Man of sorrows, what a name we are told. For he was despised and forsaken of men. Nazarene, man of sorrows and acquainted with, brief, uh, with grief and like men from whom men hide their faces. Oh, dear friends, this is what I want to say to us with regard to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew and chapter 2 is but a fulfillment of Hebrews and chapter 1 and uh, verse 1 to 3, where we are told again, God, after he spoke long time ago, we saw that, um, now he has spoken to us through his son. In the last days, he has spoken to us through his son, 
whom he appointed here of all things, through whom also he made the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his Father. And Matthew chapter 2 gives us occurrences that we can't ignore of how God wants to reconcile us to himself, of how God has become our Father. That detail we have in Matthew chapter 2 as we see our Savior introduced into this world when the world gives up, comes to a standstill, when scripture is fulfilled in him, and ultimately when we see the traffic jump between God and man introducing our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. Friends, will your heart not be warmed about this man? Ah, as I was reading through this, as I was going thinking through it, I could not afford uh, but to remember the words of the song that we sang uh, as we came to uh, the end of the day. Um, uh, uh, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O God. Because surely he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. No, there's none other worthy than Christ. Ah, will these occurrences melt your heart, please, Napapata to the worship of the King of all ages. Amen.